You are listening to The Fancy Black Lady. I'm your host, Jamila Carrington-Smith. And I'm your host, Landria Seals-Green. Today we are talking about, well, we are saying their names, Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd. Where do we begin? And then we'll wrap up with a little bit of discussion about Christian Cooper. And all of this has just come at us so fast. I mean, how do we even start to process all of this? Well, I guess you just start because there's no easy in. It's an uncomfortable topic no matter what we do because there's no hiding from it. There's no hiding from it. And for me, it just makes me feel like all I can do is just invite you into my sadness, which that's not really what I intended this podcast to be, but this is what it is, right? This is what it is to be us. And you said it just a minute ago. It's not the car you drive. You're not insulated by any of the things, any of the trappings or any of the achievements. Because no. at the end of the day, it's just you and your brown skin walking out on the street subject to whatever. And that's the scariest part. Well, I mean, if we can just continue on, the scary part is not even walking into your street. Now they're ringing your doorbell and coming into your home. Yes. And right. So it's a space of crazy. Add sleeping while black to the list. It's like, really? Man. But dare I say that sadness cannot be a place where we reside because we've got a lot of living to do. We have people to raise. We have careers to achieve. We have groceries to buy. And it's not a space of stuffing anything down. It's just make deciding. Well, it's true. But you make that decision and you live your life and you raise your children in the context of this constant assault of this information. And it's not like you don't want the information. This has been circulating in our news. It's been circulating in our communities for generations. It's just that we're in the age of everybody has access to video in their pocket. And so everybody else's is becoming aware of it. But it doesn't make it any less hard. I mean, I I can't watch a person die on camera. I can't. That it happened is enough. And knowing that it happened, not being able to escape the news of it, is kind of crushing. So for me, it's not just about deciding to be, you know, not to live in a place of sadness. It's like pushing back against the crush of it for me. Well, let me say this. In my own might, I am unable to defeat what it is before me. I just can't. And the I have this art and this way of compartmentalizing different things that has worked for me. So previously we were planning and talking about this and I had said, you know, I just have no room for it. When the first Ahmad story broke and that was just awfully tragic and there's a space within me, I said, I'd have no room. I have no room for that. And you challenged me and I thought about it, you know, do we make room and I, what kind of room do I make for it? Because if I let it take over, then I just become this very sad person. And then it creeps out in so many different ways in how I parent, the thing that I put on my son. I don't want to be the woman that puts a sign in my yard that says, my kids live here, we're brown. We, I'm not that person. Did you see the person who did that? No. 
Yeah, I signs? thought, wow, this is what we're doing now. No disrespect to her, but I just don't want to be in that place. I don't want to drive up into my driveway. And that's the sign that I put out and said, we are brown. We live here. Basically, we come in peace. And I'm not here for that. I am not here for that at all. I feel like my grandmother did the water fountains that were for blacks only and for whites only. And I'm not going back into that place. And so if I am sad, I don't feel my power. I hear that. And I love it. I do. But (laughs) (laughs) good for you, Landria, but for real. (laughs) Go ahead. But really, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, so what's the reason why you didn't have room for Ahmad? What's the reason why when Ahmad happened, you already had a place to put it? And the reason is, the reason is that you were steeped in it from before you even remember the first name that made a difference for you, you were steeped in it. And so it's funny because you put this next to statistics like, well, black people are more likely to have high blood pressure. Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's the atmosphere. The atmosphere is raising my blood pressure. Yes, absolutely. You know, stuff like this. And it's funny because for me, like, I can't put it away. I won't put it away. But at the same time, I can't let it consume me because it will. You know, I can't let it take me to a place of fear because I don't like living a life of fear. But I definitely feel like it's knocking at the door and I am holding it back sometimes. Your point about parenting, though, is really interesting because I have these two boys and I just feel like I need them to be confident and I need them to you know, feel the fullness of themselves. And I need them to not start to pare that back before they even have a chance to, you know, fully feel it. And it's so funny because when I think about it, I almost feel like it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk to let them feel as big as they ought to feel. When I think about parenting and a lot of the things that we Black parents do, you know, there was a lot of talk over the last couple of years, you know, with a lot of these extrajudicial violence against Black people and, you know, law enforcement, perpetuated violence against Black people. Uh, A lot of talk. It was news to white people that Black people have the talk, you know, the work twice as hard, get half as far, all of that business, and how to conduct yourself with police officers. So there was news to them, so that means it was all over the news. And I just never wanted and have never had that particular conversation, the you have to work twice as hard to get half as far conversation, because I need my children to feel big. I need them to really feel themselves. And having the conversation in that way sets them up to expect that no matter what, they can never be. And I don't want them to feel that. So, yeah, um, you know, but again, I feel like I feel like I'm risking something by letting them feel the fullness of themselves. But you have to let them you have to let them feel the fullness of themselves, because if there are other places that will, you know, stump their growth and you won't be one of them. We, we just won't. So they're going to be as big, they're going to be as confident as they can be based upon the circumstances that we have a lot, that we have provided for them and to them, the place that uh, called home. Today, I found myself, so my, something as simple as, you know, I got this unicorn nightlight. Yesterday was the first time using this unicorn nightlight for my daughter. 
to help her stay in her bed. I wake up this morning, I go into the room and the unicorn nightlight is out of the wall. And we have a rule of not taking things out of the wall, like things like that out of the wall. So my son has decided that the nightlight was still on during the daytime. He takes it out the wall and there is a piece that is broken off of this unicorn nightlight. I became angry, not because it was broken, but because he did not follow the rule. Mm -hmm. And the rule was don't touch it. And I became this, if you can't follow the rules in this house and the rule of not touching appliances, how can I expect you to follow the rules when you go someplace else? And we have played that over and over again as parents. This is not a foreign discussion, but the place that it came from was this place of if you meet an authority figure in the community and they give you a one-step direction, are you going to take it upon yourself and do what you think is best? And that's the place that it came from when I was talking to my own child. And then I said, I do not want to be the mother crying on camera. That's what I said. And I knew. You said that to them? I said that to my seven-year-old son. And I said. He had no idea what you were talking about. He had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, Landria, your compartmentalizing thing has not worked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is coming up. It is coming up. And you need to take a moment. And he's looking. He's perplexed and confused. But the point is, is that if we don't talk about it amongst ourselves in spaces like this, then it will come up in our interactions with our own children. And that is going to stunt their growth because we have put these shelters on top of them to keep them sheltered, to keep them safe. Because nobody wants that phone call. Nobody does. But at the same time, we are working very hard so that we are not parenting from a place of fear. And yet the thing that we're protecting them against is very real. Yes, it is very real. Teenage boys are watching the news. They're talking amongst one another. Young boys, they watch the news. If you live in a household where the news is on, you've seen this. If you are a little person, a medium or a tall sized child. So there is no sheltering them from this. Do we make them aware? Absolutely. But I have said, you know, Jesus, let me live forever because I need people to understand that next to my child is a mother who will get you if you cross him one time. And so it becomes this, you watch every teacher. Do you watch? How are you interacting with children? Do you like smart black boys? Because not every teacher appreciates a it smart is absolutely true. black child. I mean, we had a teacher who so could not believe. where did believe. they begin? Yes. We had a teacher yes. who couldn't believe all year long that my child could read. could not believe it right and and the whole year i mean like sent him to the reading specialist because this was before any of the other kids could read and he's the only black child and he could read and literally even at the end of the year she's just like he has memorized so many words i'm like dude i don't know how to tell you he can read like i can read because he cracked the code so right it's that it's like so we ask ourselves where did the neighbor come when it comes to Ahmad, the people in, like, where does that come? It is systemic. It's so systemic and it's so deep in the lives of people. 
that when you see them, you're like, you have to prove your kid can read. You have your child to say, yes, I'm doing multiplication and division. I know I'm in first grade, but yes, this is what I'm doing. Not every teacher appreciates it. And I don't care what school it is, a private school, a public school, a charter school. There are people who teach children who do not believe in them. It's incredible. It's amazing. I mean, especially when you put it that way, these are professionals who have dedicated themselves to this space and these little people. They don't mind the way they smell. And yet they walk in (laughs) and they do not believe in the possibility that one child is developing differently from another and that that development may take the form of, I can do (laughs) pre-algebra. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so then what do you do? You ask yourself, how do we end up with an Ahmad? Because there are people in this world who don't believe that you exist or you should have a place. It's like, okay, you know, we always say, you know, I want a seat at the table. But for some people, giving us a seat at the table means that we are quiet at the table and we need to be happy that we're at the table. So because they still can't believe that we exist, we're not filled with this, oh, thank you for letting me be at the table. Thank you so much. Many of us walk in like, well, yes, and you all are not as smart as I am here at this table. And not everybody appreciates that type of boldness and confidence. It's just systemic. There is protection, but what do you do, right? So even if you're an avid bird watcher, right, you are on the board of the Audubon Society, and you are doing your thing in Central Park during a pandemic, everybody's inside. For the most part, people are inside, which means the birds are just doing more of their thing. So I imagine it's a very exciting time for bird watchers. Even then, you cannot escape it when people choose to weaponize your blackness against you. Yeah, she knew, first of all, how dare you tell me what to do? How dare you provide me information about a rule? because the rules never apply to me because of the entitlement that I feel. And then you have this level of visceral, because, you know, this woman is a liberal. She has donated to all of the liberal campaigns. Has she though? Tell me more about her liberal background. (laughs) Financially, financially. She has donated to all of the liberal campaigns. Don't mean to think, don't mean to think, because she was willing to bring down the weight of the machine on that man for asking her to put a leash on that dog. Because look, a topic that you and I have agreed that we would never discuss, and I'm gonna just say this one thing and then we'll step out of it. All right. She knows the power of her tears. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Come on. She knows the power of her tears. We know the power of her tears. We have sat on boards and meetings with this type of behavior. We have been on the trail of those tears for hundreds of years. We have been on the trail of those tears. We have picked up the tears, finished the project so that it could be complete and that we could still get the proposal, win the bid and all of those things while she has had the tears. Yes. I'm just going to let that rest for a minute because... let that land. She used the power of her tears, but... Just let that land. Right. So did, so, but did she deserve all of that? You know, it's so interesting because I heard a lot of back and forth about <laughs> whether she deserved to have lost her job. But here's the thing. She was like the head of investment for the insurance 
vertical at Franklin Templeton. And that's one of those jobs that requires that you not break the law. And she broke the law. Now, Franklin Templeton chose to put it in terms of we will not tolerate racism because that made them look really great. But the truth is, what she did was unlawful, not to mention highly immoral. And so someone who is running hundreds of millions of dollars, possibly billions in investment funds is not the kind of person who should be calling up the police lying about things. Because you can't just fire somebody for what they did on Saturday unless you have that in their employment contract. She had this job. She That was good so far. I think so. But she had this job. She's in a position where she has, you know, tremendous responsibility for very large amounts of money. And yeah, often in those jobs, and I don't doubt it was in hers, was a morals clause. If you embarrass us, <laughs> you will lose your job. <laughs> and if it happens on a Saturday, it still counts. Yes, it does. Just like football players, the NBA yes. and the NFL yes. and the MLB, all those people. Yes. Yes, it does. To your point, if your name is really Karen, isn't that terrible? I know. I don't think it's fair to call these women Karen. I think it's fair to use their whole name all the time. Oh, I know. But it seems appropriate. It's unfair and appropriate all at the same time. It feels right, but it's not. So, you know, I, don't know. I apologize because I did, you know, like, oh, Karen. Well, Amy Cooper is good enough for me because Amy Cooper did it. Amy Cooper. <laughs> do you have the middle initial i feel like you might know the have the middle initial in your back pocket i do not have this information do you have a middle name for amy cooper i don't know what is amy cooper's i do not i do not but this is we should investigate i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> we should we should but they took a dog too girl that's a cute dog i'm looking for a new dog myself i'm like you got that dog from the Humane Society? It was a, a nice dog. dog. So here's the other thing about the dog, because I think people were upset because it looked like she was being neglectful of or somehow abusive of her dog. I wonder if at some point she realized the dog was making these choking, desperate sounds and it just kind of sounded better on the phone call. I wonder <laughs> about that. You said, let's add the theatrics into this. Let's, let's make it a whole entire movie. It was a whole production. It was a production. It was a production. I mean, she should go into acting after this. Should she, though? Should she? <laughs> I'm just saying. Amy Cooper, an actor. Amy Cooper. How do you feel about that, people? Amy Cooper. I mean, she could be in Get Out, part two. <laughs> oh, my God. Get Out, part two. Get Out, part two. <laughs> I mean, how do you get banned or almost banned from Central Park? That's the thing. <laughs> when I read that, I said, oh, what, what did the article say? Outside is not even open yet, and you've gotten banned from outside. This was oh. hilarious, hilarious. So we are actually talking about this article on The Root by Damon Young, who posted okay. this blog post about it. And the title of the blog post, which you know I love, is Thoughts on Forgiving Amy Cooper, a.k.a. Darth Karen, who got fired, banned from Central Park, and lost her dog. And I thought, okay, since this blog called Very Smart Brothers is talking about forgiving Amy Cooper, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me open this. And the whole thing is just, ah, it was so satisfying. I mean, it was, first it was. off, it starts with like 20 lines of just LOL, right? Right, right. <laughs> like, just... 
it was almost as good as being there in person because the rant was just so colorful and just so us. And it was perfect because I haven't had a laugh about this stuff at in all. In days. Yes. In days. When you sent it to me and I was thinking, okay, so she really wants me to read. <laughs> we had this conversation. I was like, oh, I need to read more about the, for, to prep for these shows. So I'm like, okay, this is great. And when I opened it up, I could not stop laughing. I'm like, this is perfect. It was perfect. I love how he's like, wait, what did he say? You don't have more clout than a bat? <laughs> it's just hilarious. Well, uh, the thing is, forgiveness, right? It's a thing. Where are you going with this? Where am I going with this? I'm where are going, you going. I'm going. <laughs> where do you begin in terms of forgiveness? And my answer is, is that, you know, we have been forgiving. I think we are one of the most forgiving people in terms of that's okay. You know, we can go on, but that has probably resulted in systemic um, generational levels of high blood pressure and all of this other kind of stuff. So it's not, you know, the stereotype of you have high blood pressure. What's your diet like? It's like, what's my emotional diet? Not my, exactly. not my physical diet, my emotional diet. What have I been forgiving that I needed to kind of let out? Are we saying forgiveness and is that the wrong word or are we forgiving wrong? You know, okay. are we forgiving and keeping it inside? Say more, That's say more. forgiving wrong. But forgiving correctly is saying, these are my new boundaries because of our interaction with you, right? Mm. I am not going to allow certain things and certain people and places into my space. And I'm going to tell you what I am thinking but I'm going to find all the words. I'm not going to curse you out because that's a form of stuffing it in. I'm going to find all the words, use all the sentences so that we are clear. There is no ambiguity about how I feel. Forgiving right versus forgiving, you know, a miss and keeping it just in. But is there forgiveness for her? I mean, he can forgive her because she didn't do it to me. Right? It's true. And I think it's an enormous act of grace on his part. Absolutely. We need more of that. I feel like the spiritual level in this country and world and if, of it being just defunct and inept and just at an all time low has resulted in this kind of stuff because you know, these people who chase Ahmad Aubrey, they are probably Christians know the Bible, know the Lord's prayer and all of that good stuff. Everybody's praying to God, believing in Jesus, or I hope believing in God, but doing this crazy stuff or not speaking up. That's the other piece. Being That's the greatest evil, really, because it, yes. it allows, you know, these sociopaths, these psychopaths to do what they will in the world. And so many good people just turn away because it's and church, on it's church, church on Sunday, church on Sunday. Or Saturday, but church on Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. And so is that right? You know, I have these uh, Facebook friends and colleagues who have put up Bible scriptures. And I feel like I want to say, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Not enough. Not enough. It is not enough. It is actionable work. You pray on your feet. 
You don't just don't pray on your knees. You pray on your feet you, and your hands. You do stuff about this. The practice is in the living. You know, whatever you choose to say you are in terms of belief systems, you know, the true practice is in the living. It doesn't give you any sort of moral elevation automatically because you say, you know, well, I am a person of faith. That by itself doesn't do it. It is every day striving toward something. Absolutely. Whatever the flavor of your religion. So It's like, let me step over this body, this person that has just been killed or treated unfairly as I walk into my place of worship. Mm-hmm. That does not work. We've forgiven so much, but not forgiving and telling people what we expect of them now, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. We're just saying, I forgive you. Don't forgive and then tell and then still let people treat you or your neighbor a certain way. So I like this idea and this conversation around forgiveness because you're right. And taking it back to this topic, because these incidents just keep coming at us. Yes. Right. And, you know, there is something for us to forgive. It didn't happen to me walking through Central Park, but this is happening to me. All of these things are happening to me in their own way. They are making their way into my home. They are disrupting my peace. The forgiveness is not the way it might look for an individual, but how does it look when I am forgiving? (laughs) How does it look to forgive the very air you breathe? Because this stuff is in the atmosphere. And I want to go back to the point about drawing clear boundaries about what will work for you and what won't, what you will let in and what you won't. And I think that's what forgiveness has to look like when you're forgiving the very air around you. Also, I really think there's something to this notion of not going to a place where you're cussing folks out and not just you know saying, I forgive you and letting that be it, but also just really articulating what you feel, articulating what this means for you, articulating your new boundaries, as you said, because then you're truly unburdening yourself in a way that you don't if you don't work on that articulation. Well, unburdening yourself is the key. I think it's the point of forgiveness. It is the point. So it is um, articulating to that person, yes, these are my boundaries. And then for me, it is also forgiving up. So where do I place my burden and say what, what that, that becomes my belief in God. I know these mothers have prayed, you know, it's like Trayvon Martin's mother. I know that there was not a prayer that she didn't say for her son. And so it's like, here is God. Where is God? Because these things have happened to people, Mm -hmm. innocent bystanders. And then you have George, was it George Zimmerman, the guy in Florida? who basically did not get prosecuted well to be incarcerated physically, but he didn't get punished truly for what you think, you know, Ahmaud Arbery's mother, that wasn't a prayer that she didn't say for her son at some point, but you just think, okay, God. And then I feel like God's like, all right, the people need to do what they're supposed to do. There's no way that you can be a person who has a faith system and believe in, and you don't speak out against. And this is a cross color line. This is the cross denomination. This is cross political aisle. This is about what is right for human beings, for the living. Like when is the collective going to take a stand to be able to say this is inhumane? 
So we're waiting on him. He's waiting on us. What? I have nothing to say. <laughs> I have nothing to say. I hear you, but, you know, I realistically, know. how does that start? Where does that start? It starts with what you can touch. I can't do everything, but what I can do is make sure that in my own community, that for me, the people in my community are safe. You know, interactions with law enforcement and all of those, like, what are my neighbors thinking? What are, like, the community, what the things but I you can see, touch. Don't you think that's part of the problem is how people are defining community and making sure that the people in their community are safe and everybody outside, you know, like maybe they're not in my, maybe I don't see them as part of my community. Those lines don't necessarily have to do with your physical boundaries. Maybe it's someone who looks like you or practices the same faith as you. And I think, you know, these same things that, you know, let us, well, give us the potential to come together and do something greater are the same things that make us devolve into tribes and yeah. fight each other. Yeah. The same things that could make us come together are the same things that separate us. But Ahmad was jogging in his community. That's right. He was and in somebody, his community. And somebody thought, he is not of my community. We need to redefine community or allow it to have multiple definitions. And the geographic community that he is a part of did not protect him. They didn't have his back. That is true. You know, I love shifting that expectation, you know? Where's the responsibility for every person who was in their home and saw him running through their community and did yes. not protect him? Yes. That is true. Where are they? Where are his neighbors? Where are the people? But not letting people get away with looking away. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everybody, we feel so, at times, we just feel so powerless. I will tell you, and you know this from personal, when that whole thing happened in the preschool of when my son was in preschool and we had that incident, mm -hmm. I fully expected for that community of parents who were aware of what had happened to my child to stand up with me. But in that moment, in that you were moment, not of their community. I was not of their community. They did not. And we're talking about brown mothers. We're talking about white mothers. We're talking about people. We have had playdates together. I was in that room by myself. I was holding the feet of the organization who thought that when something happened to a four-year-old brown boy, he should be more resilient. And I was holding their feet to the fire by myself. There was while no everyone one, else looked away. While everybody else looked away and still had their kids in that classroom, I called people and said, this is what's going on. This is what happened. And that kid did it again. He did it to somebody else. And so you were in the room. I always say this. Protesting is wonderful. Putting things and sharing different things on Facebook and social media is great. If that's what suits you. But if you want to make some changes... You better know how to speak the language of the people who are making rules and policies. Because when we were in that room changing rules and policies so that other people's children could benefit, 10% of me was satisfied. 90% of me was still angry. I was angry months after that happened. And I was angry at the parents who did not stand up with me. I was. It's a lonely place to be. And so when we ask ourselves, you know, your question, to your point, who is your community? 
I was a community of one, making sure that community was okay. Cause my kid, I took my kid out, but you were my community. My family was my community who supported me, but the people who were experiencing or could experience that same level of emotional and physical assault for their own children decided that the cost was too great for their life. You need childcare, so you still have to bring your kids somewhere wow. they need to work. It but was you know still- what? That's enough. You're right. You were not of their community. If no. you're talking about parents who decided that you know what was happening just wasn't worth it because they might have trouble with daycare because and whatever harm yeah. is happening to their child is you know maybe we'll just overlook it. Then no, you are not of that community. No. End of story. End of story. I mean, I held a grudge against one particular family for a minute. I mean, I'll probably say maybe he is now seven. We're talking about I forgive you. Yeah. (laughs) And what I stuffed down for two and a half years. And I just decided that her kind gesture to my family was something that I could embrace and forgive for what I thought she should have been in terms of supporting us and me in that community during that time. Eh, sometimes you need a little time. Sometimes it takes a minute. <laughs> but sometimes I love, it takes a minute. I love and I live by that. And I, I say I live by it. And now I can't remember who said it. The, the quote is, forgive not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I should have did it faster. But I was so enraged. Yeah. I was so enraged, which has landed me into this place of I can't take that on. I'm going to compartmentalize it because it brings all of that up again for me. Like young brown boys and even brown girls, you want to rob them of, of childhood. You want to rob them of all of these things before they can grow up to put on and size up their own greatness. And I'm not having it. I will fight you tooth and nail before you ever decide to take that away from my children or children that I can touch. And to clarify for all of the people who won't know exactly what you're talking about, what I will add to this was, this was Landria fighting an entire system, a very, very large and well-funded and well-known system in order to advocate for her child and protect him. And by way of doing so, protect the children of these other people who just decided that it was too hard and that maybe their kid could just get over it and forget it, or I don't know what they thought. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's an interesting thing, but I was ready for a fight because you just don't mess with my kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because there was something happening with my kids and somebody said, oh, well, you're a real mama bear. I'm like, bear? Fuck a bear. I am the <laughs> dragon. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You better hope for a bear, but you no. Know? Shoot, I will burn this joint down. Yes. I will. <laughs> yes, people do not understand. People do not understand. They're like, you strategize in such a way and you're taking this so well. It's like, no, you better be very afraid of what comes out of this after I finish deciding what what my next steps are. Yes. You better start. You better run. Yeah. You better run. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what I keep saying to, I say this to my children. 
if I don't make it, there's a whole tribe of other women who stand behind me, who will stand in my place and make sure this gets done. Okay, but let's go back to the topic though. <laughs> but all of this, this yes. overwhelming force with which you will protect and advocate, advocate sounds like a soft word when we're, cause you and I know what we're talking about. We know what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. But the force with which you do that is fed by the Ahmaud Arbery's, you know, all of these yes. horrible things that happen to all of the, and the older I get, the more I look, the more I look at every single one of these faces. And there was a point in my life where we went through something very, very difficult and coming out of that very difficult period, I started to see everybody as somebody's baby. And like, I could see it. It was like this mm. magical power where, you know, I could look at everyone's face and I could see that like someone loves you as much as I love these children. And that there's just like such power in that. And I look at the faces of these people who have been murdered and I just think this is someone's baby. And of course, you know, they are fathers, they are brothers, they are mothers, they are aunts, they are uncles, they're friends, they're all of these things, but they are someone's baby. And there is such power in that. Like they are loved deeply by many, many people, but they are loved cosmically <laughs> right, mm. by mm. someone and no one has the right to take that away and what has happened this world in this country is that we have dehumanized the pain we have decided that all pain is not equal absolutely and that's not okay i mean we fetishized black pain to be honest with you i think there's a part of me, that's part of why I can't watch the videos, because this is someone's light that's being extinguished before mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. eyes. And I understand that in some sense, like for some people, it's just becoming real to them, like it's real when they can see the video, but it's gross. It's gross. It's fetishistic. It's disgusting. See, I have watched portions of the video. I've watched portions of the video of Ahmad. I've watched portions of the video for George Floyd. And I don't watch it to see the light slip away of the person who was being assaulted. Mm-hmm. I am amazed by the fact that the person who is doing the assault has no light. It is amazing to me to watch a person who is void of emotion and void of human connection operate in such a way and still walk and still talk and still engage, but you can tell that the light is gone from them Wow! to be able to do that. And I am always amazed when people behave in that way. And I think, where... And when did you lose your light? And how many people around you know you've lost it? It's like, you know, the Matrix. The Matrix and then, you know, the things are after Neo and they are all void of light. And they multiply and they're in the same community. It's like, that's your community. All of you all are without light. And then you meet people with light. It's like the teacher without light meets the kid with light and his light is bright. And all her and her job and the sole purpose of her is to dim his light. And then you're on the background, the mother with the light and you're like, baby, you're gonna keep your light. I don't care if she doesn't call on you. You're gonna keep working, you're gonna keep doing it. And the fact that we have to do that 
it's tiring. So when we first got on, your the sound of exasperation that you had is the sound. That is the sound that we all feel. We don't let people hear it enough to know that this is what has been created. We stand up and we make up, we walk into these places and we communicate well and we present the case when sometimes all they need to hear is a level of exasperation that has been created. Just hear my cry. The weariness. The weariness the heaviness, of it all. Yes. The heaviness. To your point about the teacher and her sole purpose, you know, yeah. when your soul, S-O-L-E, purpose, Ooh. becomes your soul, S-O-U-L, purpose, and when that purpose is to dim someone else's light, my God. I what have you, you done to yourself? What have you done to yourself? What have you done to yourself? But she does not stand a chance against the mother who is determined, or the father for that matter, who is determined that this will not be, or the auntie or the cousins. It's a whole tribe. Who will infuse light back into him every time? He's not gonna dim. It's true, it's true. He is not going to dim, but you, you may not have a job or a teaching license by the time we finish with you, because we, <laughs> we know how to get some stuff done. <laughs> and if there's light in you, it'll just be you and your light sitting in a room. It's gonna be light, me, my light, and all mm. of my understanding of the legislative process. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, yes. And so in the end, this is about for us, how we get through this is it's forgiveness on some level. It is, you know, a determination about how this is going to, how much of this we let into our lives. It is a commitment to living a life without fear, parenting without fear, and growing our children into the amazing people that they are meant to be. Yes. And let's not forget faith. And faith. And faith. Thanks for listening and look out soon for season one. To contact us to give us comments or show topic suggestions, email us at fancyblacklady at gmail.com or find us on our social media handles, Fancy Black Lady.